0: Hello and welcome to another Nutshell Guide as part of the Family Law podcast brought to you by Pump Court Chambers. As listeners will know, in our Nutshell Guides, we pick specific practical issues often faced by practitioners and provide targeted pointers and guidance. This time we're looking at the well-known issue of without notice or ex parte applications, both in a Family Law Act 1996 setting and the Children Act 1989. Joining me to illuminate the shadows of our knowledge in this area is Samara Brackley of Pump Court Chambers. Samara is a rising star in Chambers, known for her tenacious advocacy and skill in client handling. She specializes in all areas of family from private and public children cases to financial cases under Talata, Schedule One, and of course the Matrimonial Causes Act. She also had the dubious fortune to be my co-pupil, which what feels like a, a lifetime ago now. Samara, welcome to our to our humble podcast. How are you doing?
1: Hi Mark. I'm really, really well. Really well. How
0: are you? Good. Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. Thrilled to be talking about ex parte applications as always. Um and in that spirit, let's crack on. Um I think let, let, let's start at the beginning. In what circumstances would you would you expect to see uh, an ex-party application? Let's talk about a Family Law Act situation first.
1: Yeah, so with Family Law Act applications, I think this is quite topical, particularly with uh, lockdown and there having been an increase, increase in these sorts of uh, applications being made. The circumstances you probably would expect to see are where there have been instances of domestic abuse for a normalization order you would expect to see a statement um, made out with some allegations of domestic abuse that the court can rely upon to make that order without needing to question whether something has happened from the other side on the basis of what you have said I mean that's the whole point of an ex- parte application it's got to be on the strength of what the applicant is saying um, for an occupation order I mean I think we'll come on to have a chat about this but occupation orders ex parte near impossible um, to get one of those certainly in in my experience it really doesn't happen very often um, about, and so you um, would ex-
0: sorry Samara I was going to say because it's something that 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 we've been talking about recently what about a situation where a non-molestation order is made and it is tantamount to an occupation order
1: well Mark you know that is a particular bee in my bonnet um, when the court makes A uh, non molestation order announced a zonal clause, Uh, that's something that um, annoys me, certainly, because I think the court is basically making an occupation order via the back door. They do happen more frequently, certainly. You do see that a lot more. Um, The circumstances in which I think such an order would be justified is where... um, the respondent is clearly not living at the Mm. same property as the applicant, clearly has somewhere else to go. You are able as applicant to demonstrate that they are not there um, and they have somewhere else to go, which on an ex parte basis is difficult, but I've seen it. Um, And there is some other compelling reason, such as uh, protection of children, for example, why you need that zonal clause. A zonal clause protecting your workplace or a children's school um, is more common, I think. Um, mm. and perhaps more justifiable because they are places that a respondent uh, doesn't necessarily need to go, whereas actually restricting somebody's access to their home by virtue of a zonal clause that says you can't come within 100 metres of a property, or you can't go down that particular road, there's quite a serious infringement of their freedom, and actually something that really is tantamount to an occupation order. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. It's something to um, watch out
0: for. In terms of then just just sort of going back to 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 the... Precise question. Circumstances you see a family law act ex parte application. I assume that you know we're talking about something really serious here, aren't we? And something that's happened recently.
1: Yeah, of course. So often you will see uh, applications made for a non molestation order that contain allegations that are quite historic. Um, I would say even a few months ago, you're going to struggle perhaps to convince the court at an ex parte hearing that an ex parte order is justified. Um, The courts really are quite strict about notice um, in some circumstances. And if you are, I think, even sometimes two to three weeks after the event making the application and you haven't really done anything um, in that time, you may have well been and see solicitors, but if you yourself have sat on it, um, and haven't gone to the court um, as a matter of urgency and said this is something that's happened to me very recently I need this sorted out please give me the protection of the court under this order and um, you are potentially going to be in difficulties with the court turning around and saying well I'm not sure this is suitable for an ex parte so definitely I mean coming to the court as soon as you possibly can is something that you always should have in the back of your mind
0: mm. difficult for the litigant in person I suppose if they don't necessarily <laughs> know of the court's powers Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, well, we've talked obviously about Family Law Act applications, but what, what, what circumstances would we see uh, ex parte Children Act applications in?
1: So I think there are probably two that you see quite frequently in the county courts and um, the first is a prohibited steps order that you might make if you're concerned that your child is going to be removed from either your care from school or from the country um, so that's quite that's quite common um, or you see um, I think some people make the mistake of making a specific issue order application and I, I think you and Mark uh, you and I Mark would talk to make it as a child arrangements order application if you are seeking the return of a child to your care so if uh, the child is supposed to be with you you're the primary carer and the child hasn't been returned to you uh, for some reason um, at the scheduled time then you will often see an application being made as I say sometimes I think incorrectly as a specific issue order but the general spirit of the application really is to secure the return of the child to usually the primary carer and
0: then you'd have you'd have conditions attaching with you to the child arranged yeah I fondly remember that pupilage exercise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um let's uh so let's 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 move on to the the aim of this this nutshell guide. What are the do's and don'ts of making ex parte applications? Now we know when we're making them. Um I think let's lump together family law acts and children act for now, and yeah. talk about the application to start with.
1: So. The first thing I would say um, and I didn't think I would need to say this until this happened in a recent case, but know what you're applying for um, is probably the first tip with any application. I recently was the respondent on for the respondent, sorry, on an application where the um, applicant had applied for a normalisation order, an occupation order, and a prohibited steps order, but no C100 had been issued, um, so obviously the prohibited steps order uh, wasn't going to be dealt with. Um, in terms of when you are setting out your stall for a uh, Family Law Act application for a normalisation order, obviously you have the opportunity to put in a witness statement, and I think we're going to come on to that, but. The main point about this is make sure you do put in um, that you are going to do a witness statement for the non station order and make sure you tick the right boxes Um, I think it can potentially be quite easy to tick the wrong boxes on the Family Law Act application form. Um, There are quite a few and you will need to know exactly what the situation is for the parties, their relationship, um, who owns the property if you're seeking some sort of normalisation order, whether it's rented, a housing association property. You'll need to have all that information at hand. So make sure that you're ready to go with those instructions having been taken when you are preparing that application. I would also say that quite a few occupation orders come a cropper uh, if you haven't given notice of the application to the mortgage company, if there is a mortgage or the housing association if there is a housing association or the local authority, those sorts of things do need to be sent to those um, organisations. They do need to have notice if you are seeking an occupation order, because of course it has an effect on who lives in the property. It may have an effect on who goes in and out, may have an effect on who pays the bills, what what happens to the mortgage. So um, you need to be very clear that that application has been sent to anybody relevant who's connected to the property. For... Children Act applications, um, very much the same thing, really. Make sure that your C100 is as full as it can be. There's obviously also the opportunity to do a rider and do a statement when you put in a C100. Um, You can very clearly on the C100 mark if something is urgent and needs to be done ex parte. Um, That is also the same on the Family Law Act application, but I think sometimes because a C100 is more routinely issued as um, an application that would be on notice you've just got to make sure that you have definitely ticked the box that says um, Mm. without notice and needs needs to be heard urgently um, because that's obviously not the routine way of issuing that particular application
0: and with a with an ex parte children children's application would you say that's the time for a C1A as well or, or is that overkill at that point?
1: I, d- I don't think it's overkill, um, because you are likely going to have to have had some sort of allegations being made in relation to bringing the ex parte application. Um, the majority of the time, certainly in my experience, when somebody has brought an ex parte prior steps order or return of the child application, there are allegations that go along with that. Um, that's not to say that you say within the application or the C100, C1A, C C100 that you have um, other allegations that you may wish to make that are more relevant to general uh, issues of domestic abuse or general issues of welfare or safeguarding concerns. But certainly, I would think you probably should fill out a C1A if there are allegations that are relevant to the reason you're bringing the application ex parte.
0: Um, before we talk about statements, you mentioned in your in your pointers uh, notice to, say, the mortgage company with an occupation uh, mm. order... I just want to pick up at this point of notice we're talking about making applications without notice, but is it right mm-hmm. to say that that's, that's it. You just don't tell the other side or, or can we fudged slightly?
1: No, absolutely. You uh, should actually really be giving notice where it's safe to do so. There are obviously going to be circumstances where it's not safe to give notice. I think the obvious one, really, if you're making the application for a non molestation order, is if the respondent had notice of the application, that they would try and stop you bringing the application Mm. or that further harm would be caused to you. It's fairly common for domestic violence victims, once they have worked up enough courage to make the application, who don't want them then discouraged um, by the respondent to not make the application anymore so of course that's a situation where you would absolutely make it ex parte but you know like we said with perhaps historic allegations if they are historic or indeed if it's just for an occupation order um there are usually very 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 few circumstances i can't actually think of any off the top of my head where you would be making an application ex parte for an occupation order without a non-molestation order, Mm. Um, and that's something that certainly um, should come with notice. Likewise, for a prohibited steps order, for example, if somebody's about to, you think they're about to leave the country with your child, you may well think, you know, if I put them on notice, they're going to speed up and they are going to get on that plane maybe two or three hours, they'll try and get an earlier flight, that sort of thing. Um, You know, there are obviously circumstances where notice shouldn't be given, But no, it's certainly not right to say that you should just blindly make ex-parte applications to the court. I've certainly seen them and I'm sure you have as well, Mark, where um, an ex-parte application that should have been made on notice because the allegations are historic or because um, they don't really um, concern things that need to be dealt with urgently um, or uh, they are a a children application um, that really the court needs more evidence about. Mm. You know, if a child isn't at risk of harm... If there's nothing at risk of imminently happening um, to a child, if you don't make the order, then a lot of the time the court might say, well, I haven't got any safeguarding checks and I can't really do anything. Um, in which case you'd have just been better off saving your money and waiting for it to be dealt with um, at the Fahudra.
0: Yeah, I suppose there's that balancing act, isn't there, of an urgency with the the, the duties that attach to an ex parte application.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the the duties that attach to that are also something that I was going to add to our do's list, um, that if you are the applicant um, making uh, an ex parte application, you absolutely have to come to the court with clean hands. You know, you have to make sure that everything in your statement is honest, um, everything in your statement is accurate. And if there are elements that or things that have happened that don't assist your case, you also have to inform the court of that as well, particularly if you are a representative Um, you know, us as counsel, if we see something in an ex parte application that we're making or we're aware of some case law that doesn't support us, I know that that's always the rule for us as barristers, but it's particularly pertinent Mm. at an ex parte application where there isn't the other side, there aren't those checks and balances between you know, two people being represented or two people being able to put forward their side of the story, you have to have to absolutely make sure that you're coming to the court with, with clean hands and make sure that the full picture is presented. The, the difficulty is, is if you don't do that, you're probably going to get caught out quite quickly. Um, and certainly I've um, been acting for respondents in um, non-molestation order applications um, or occupation order applications where we've come along at the return date um and basically blown whatever the applicant has said out of out of the water so you really need to make sure when you're taking instructions from your client and talking to them about their options you know going to court seeking an injunction that sort of thing that you have really made sure that you've done as much research as you possibly can into the client's case um, and into anything that may assist or harm your case Mm. and likewise obviously you are under a duty Um, And this is, of course, per the president's guidance from, I think, about 2015, isn't it, Mark, January 2015, where we all have to take notes um, of what's happening in the hearing. They have to be sent um, over to the other side as well.
0: I was going so, to say yeah. that there's something that you just you, you, there's that guidance it's from freezing injunction juris mm. uh, jurisprudence as well and it's just not you never ever see it you never ever come after after a hearing and, and and get any kind of note of of a without notice hearing it's it's one of those things that people really seem to ignore.
1: Mm. No they do and certainly I, you know whenever I'm instructed it's something I try and do uh, just to take a note of the actual hearing so that the other side is aware what has been said. Some of the difficulty with responding to a next party application when you come along to the return date is that you have no idea on what basis the judge made that order and we've all seen orders that we look at and we think how on earth was that made on the facts and obviously there must have been something said at the hearing the applicant or the applicant's representative must have expanded on it but as the respondent or the representative of the respondent without paying hundreds of pounds to obtain the transcript you've really got no idea Mm. so that guidance was put in place for for a very good reason it's to try and give as much visibility over the proceedings as possible but like you say it just it doesn't seem to be adhered to as much. So certainly best practice, I very much think should be adhered to. Yeah. And you really should, if you're representing somebody at an ex parte hearing, be taking a note of the hearing that can go along and be served on the respondent with the order, with the statement and with the application.
0: Yeah. And that brings me on to statements because, of course, really, you should be going along with your ex parte and waving, putting your statement in front of the judge's face and saying, make the order. Yeah, of you? course.
1: Course, what, what, those... what are the
0: do's and don'ts for statements
1: um do's for statements definitely make them as clear as possible um there are we see them quite a lot sort of pro that go around for um non the, ira- the relationship
0: was initially fine
1: yes <laughs> yeah it was initially fine exactly and then we encountered some difficulties
0: yeah
1: um Yeah, you see those sort of pro forma statements quite a lot. And whilst they are good for the people that need them, I know that some domestic violence charities use them and they are are obviously a necessary resource for people that have to access the law that way. But certainly that is not necessarily sufficient you really should be putting in as much detail as possible if there's an extreme urgency that is not going to be possible but you really should be looking at putting in as much detail as you can i particularly if there's text message evidence i'm a fan of taking some screenshots and attaching that it's very quick and very effective because people do seem to put everything about their lives on social media talk about everything through whatsapp everything is documented on facebook um, and if you can get a few screenshots just to assist you, anything like that to put into the statement, you know, I know, I know it's a rush, um, but that sort of evidence is at your fingertips. And I think a lot of litigants sometimes don't remember that that is actually evidence um, and that is something that can go in your statement. Yeah,
0: I mean, subject to allegations of forgery, those documents are there. They can't really be contested, mm. can they? Then, then mm. it's just what the does the judge think this is molestation or not?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think particularly if you're raising allegations of um, harassment or something like that, taking a screenshot of your call log to say, look, Mm. they called me 30 times yesterday, um, what better evidence are you going to get of that? But I completely agree with you, Mark, that really what you need is a statement uh, that is concrete, very clearly sets out what the allegations are, the dates for those allegations, whether anybody witnessed, because obviously you're going to need to think if the application moves forward, whether you're going to need any witnesses, whether there's any third party evidence, you may not have been necessarily able to obtain it. But if uh, social services were informed, if the police were informed, if you went to hospital, if you rang your GP, um, if you then spoke to the National Centre for Domestic Violence, you know, whoever it might be, if there's a third party agency involved, that information should also definitely be within the witness statement, because that will then affect what um, directions if any are made for third-party agency disclosure at a later stage.
0: I was going to say that I mean even if it's it's just the first witness statement it, you may not get another chance and and really you've got to think when you're drafting it this could potentially be my evidence at, at mm. trial.
1: Yeah absolutely I know um, so many uh, judges who have said that the applicant doesn't get another chance to put in a witness mm. statement. I think you're lucky if you come across a judge that allows an applicant to respond to the respondent statement, because of course that could that could go on forever. I mean, presumably they're in litigation because they don't agree over something. Um, and if you constantly have people responding to someone's responses to someone's responses, then, then it never ends. So yeah, the overwhelming likelihood is you're probably not going to get another shot at it.
0: Yeah. Um, we're just just sort of then to look at the the end of this process. We've talked about do's and don'ts. obviously, we know what happens if you do it well, you get your order. What, mm. what are the risks that you run if you bring a a misguided ex parte application?
1: So what will likely happen if the court looks at your application and thinks... Mm, I'm not sure this is an order that I should be making ex parte, they will likely just bump it off to a return date, get the respondent along um, and see what they have to say about it. And in effect, not make the order. Mm. Um, And that for people who really do have the evidence or really do have the need for protection is really sad, actually, um, when you see that because of an ill-prepared statement, uh, you know, an ill-prepared application um it is really sad when you go along to a return date and you think this this should have been made this is absolutely mm. the sort of person that needs this protection so the risk really is that if you are that person that the order the order doesn't get made if you've gone along to an ex parte hearing when it really should have been on notice um what will happen is then as i've said the court will probably list a return date on notice um the big risk apart from the order not being made um is costs mm. Those of us who operate in the family law world are uh, used to writing no order for costs on pretty much everything, um, and it's very rare, really, in the grand scheme of things, that we actually make applications with regards to costs. It's not something that we do we do very often at all. Um, but family law act applications, and um, we'll talk about children act applications in a minute. But family law act applications do carry cost consequences. Mm, clean
0: sheet, isn't um, it? The it is. It,
1: yeah, exactly. And um, I think a lot of people forget that. A lot Mm. of people think, oh, well, it's in the family court, so therefore there's no cost consequences. And there absolutely are. If you make an ill-conceived non-molestation order or occupation order application, ex parte or not, then you are at risk of costs. Um, and if you've made an ill-conceived ex party application, and it's so ill-conceived that at the return date the respondent can come along and say this should never have been made, this is a pointless application, it's an abusive process, then you're probably going to be looking at quite a significant costs order. Um, you know, you really need to make sure that you are making ex party applications in the right, um, in the right, um, in the right circumstances. Mm.
0: Well, you said you'll come on to children act. Uh... Yeah cases what about those then
1: well i think if you make an ill-conceived ex-parte application uh in children act proceedings um you're not at such of a risk of costs exposure at least in my experience in my experience mm. you're not um but you will have certainly wasted your own costs in paying for representatives to go to that hearing and paying lawyers in order to go along to that um but you may also as well have put yourself in the eye of the court of somebody that makes applications that are potentially baseless um and we both know certainly that in uh, children act applications you need to make sure that you are being seen to do the right thing for Mm. the children and making applications that are baseless doesn't necessarily put you in a good eye in front of the court and in front of kafkas
0: yes i mean i there's this there's this recent case that that. um Was came out on the 21st September, Mm. MAKF, an appeal judgment, I think it was, or maybe just a first instance judgment, actually, of um, His Honour Judge Middleton Roy. And it seemed to be that situation, like you say, that it's not a short-term risk, but the long-term consequence of the mother's initial poorly judged um, ex parte application, I'm I'm paraphrasing the judgment here, uh, meant that she wasn't going to then get a costs order, even though perhaps in normal circumstances she might've been entitled to one.
1: No, exactly. And that's also no, a reflection of um, the way that I think we deal with costs in uh, the family law world anyway. Um, But certainly you always need to be alive to your litigation conduct. You always need to be alive to how litigious you're being, whether it's proportionate for you to be that litigious, Um, whether your application is being made um, with a degree of merit. It's extremely rare rare as well that the court will say that an application was totally without merit. I think with with children applications, that's very difficult. Um, But where you are uh, seeking something, you may well be right. Um, in the end, but you need to make sure that you've gone about it in such a way that um, endears you to the court, so to speak, um, and that you don't come across as somebody that's just willing to fight, fight, fight um, at any cost, because, as you say, this particular judgment from um, His Honour Judge, Middleton Roy, shows that, yeah, you you may well be right, but I'm not going to give you your costs, because I don't agree with the way that you've gone about it. Yeah.
0: I I mean, I'll just... I think I'll finish just by reading out... um from paragraph 16 says the mother's original application to this court was not supported by a witness statement. Her application to this court for a hearing without notice first being given to the father was bound to fail in the circumstances and was contrary to the well-established principle that Save in cases where it is essential that a respondent must not be aware of the application, the applicant should take steps to notify the respondent, at least informally the application and goes on and on and on. But that, that's basically that's what you've been saying, isn't it, that, that you have to play by the rules, otherwise you won't get what you want
1: yeah exactly i mean the way that the mother approached the litigation is essentially what i have said very clearly in this <laughs> podcast not to do you know if, if there are there are obviously going to be circumstances where it's not appropriate to give notice and you haven't you just haven't got time yeah. to do a statement but those circumstances are going to be so few and far between that it's so overwhelmingly um the right thing to do that you need to get a statement in it needs to be a good statement that sets out very clearly what the allegations are um, very clearly what evidence there is um, and in the case of uh, Children Act applications I think maybe more than non orders, occupation orders more than them as well, um, you really should be thinking about notice. Mm. Um, you really shouldn't just be throwing an application in and thinking oh well you know it's ex parte we'll just get it in front of the judge and see what they say because that's not how this works um, and yeah. you will find that judges will turn you away if it's an application that really should have been issued on notice. And then yeah. you'll be in a position where you will have wasted costs in going to a next party hearing instead of just issuing on notice and going to a hearing with everybody present.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think that about um, wraps things up. Samara, thank you so much for this uh, invaluable guide. I think we can all learn something from it, frankly. I won't take any more of your time. I was, I was going to make a joke about notice, but I, I couldn't think of one, so I won't. Um, <laughs> as ever if there are any issues that you the listener would like us to deal with as a nutshell guide please do get in touch in the usual way by email we're always open to suggestions and feedback samara thanks again
1: no thank you mark
0: my pleasure thank you and goodbye